Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. I've got just a couple of quick reminders for you before we dive into our fiction this week. First, of course, is our design contest. We've picked a winner, and we're champing at the bit to share this dastardly creation with you, but we've still got a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross before we can cast this macabre masterpiece out into the world. Stay tuned to our social media and next week's episode to find out who's taking home the prize. And, following that, you'll also have your chance to get your claws on some great merch featuring the winning design. So keep your eyes peeled. As we head into the summer months, there's going to be lots to wrangle. Not the least of which is our 500th episode bash, which will happen later in August. Our travel schedule, though, is looking like it might get a little complicated. So, a little advance warning that we may be cooling our heels more than usual over the next several weeks. That said, we've got some terrifically terrifying tales stalking your way. Our latest round of submissions are starting to come to life. And that feels like the perfect segue into reminding you that now is an excellent time to submit your own horrifying creations. There is nothing, after all, quite like the chill of a truly spine-tingling horror story to cool you off. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions, of course, is where you can deposit yours 
into our vault of horrors for injection into the brains of new victims. So, put your pen to paper, or fingers to keyboard, and get crafting. Again, talestoterrify.com slash submissions. Now, I think it's time we heard just such a tale. Our first story for the evening comes from Louis B. Rosenberg. Louis Rosenberg, Ph.D., is a writer, researcher, entrepreneur, and inventor. He is currently CEO of Unanimous AI, an artificial intelligence company that amplifies human intelligence. A prolific inventor, Rosenberg has been awarded over 300 patents for his work in virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and human-computer interaction. Rosenberg is best known for having developed the world's first augmented reality system when working for NASA and the U.S. Air Force Labs. He earned his Ph.D. from Stanford and was a tenured professor at California State University. Rosenberg was also founder of the virtual reality company Immersion and the 3D graphics company Microscribe. His fiction includes the graphic novels Upgrade, Eons, Monkey Room, and Arrival Mind. He is also the author of the award-winning web series Lab Rats. Children of the Night, join me for Louis B. Rosenberg's Conception, a Tales to Terrify original. We know this is difficult, the woman said kindly, trying to put me at ease. She wore a crisp white lab coat, a clipboard in her lap, a pencil to her lips. There was a bald man sitting beside her. He too wore a lab coat, but his was blue and had many more pockets. He seemed younger and less confident than the woman. I noted his lack of confidence by the way his gaze fell to the floor whenever she glanced in his direction. It was a subtle gesture. But I was good at subtle gestures. I was good at many things, but not this. This was hard. If it were easy, we wouldn't be asking for your perspective, the woman added softly, rolling closer in her chair. We'd just go with the readings. The man nodded in agreement, his eyes darting to a computer on the lab bench beside him. I guessed he was a technician. Why else would he need so many pockets? He eyed a few graphs and charts on the screen, then looked back at me with urgency. Clouds, I finally replied. Clouds of light and dark. Interesting, the woman smiled, jotting notes on her clipboard. The man seemed skeptical. That's the first thing you recall? Clouds? I thought for a long moment, as I wanted to get this right. I suppose it was more like fog than clouds, I clarified a thick fog of brightness and shadows shifting and tumbling with no specific to focus on. And yet, I could sense there was something there, something important to pay attention to. There was something in the fog? the woman asked. Well, no, nothing tangible. Nothing tangible? the man squinted. What does that mean? 
It means everything was different there, I tried to explain, distorted and confused, like a flood of sensations overwhelming with contrast, but lacking any context to make sense of. Contrast without context, the woman echoed. I like that. And she jotted more notes. The man still seemed skeptical. What about colors? No colors, I replied. That came later. How much later? I don't know. You don't know? The man huffed. I didn't know. Time was different there. Everything was different there. What about sounds? The woman jumped in. Were there any sounds? There was noise, I said, like layers upon layers of static, overlapping and intertwined. But I wouldn't call them sounds. Why not? The man pressed, growing impatient. Because it had no structure, I clarified. No features. It was all just there. Fine, the man shot. So where, exactly, was there? That was a fair question, a reasonable question, and yet no answer came. I'm sorry, I finally said. I'm just not good at this. Don't be sorry, the woman smiled. You're doing great. Unfortunately, it wasn't a genuine smile. I could tell from the shape of her eyes. You'd think it would be the lips, but it's always the eyes. Let's go back to the beginning, she eased, all the way back to the clouds that weren't really clouds. You said there was nothing significant to focus on, everything shifting and tumbling, overlapping and intertwined, and yet you could sense there was something out there, something important to pay attention to. She tapped her clipboard with her pencil. How could there be nothing of significance, and yet something of importance? She was right. I wasn't being consistent. I wasn't being coherent. That wasn't like me. The world was too confusing back then, I admitted. Too hard to understand. But then it all changed. Everything changed. Changed how? The man pressed, glancing at his watch. That's when a noise rang from above, a metallic rattling and grinding. I immediately recognized it as a faulty ventilation fan in the ceiling. It was easy to fix by tightening the gimbal and oiling the shaft. Why couldn't they ask me about things like that? I was trained as a service engineer, not a scientist. They were the scientists. Changed how, the man repeated, no longer trying to conceal his irritation. The fog, I replied. It pulled together, first in patches and clumps, then everywhere, materializing into sights and sounds, shapes and colors, like a whole new world was forming all around me, propelling me from nowhere to somewhere. Nowhere to somewhere, the woman nodded, jotting notes. Then, as if an afterthought, she mused, I wonder what triggered the change. But it wasn't an afterthought. I could tell by how she gripped her pencil, rigid with tension, like she was hoping I would finally give her an answer she could write down. That's when I knew this was the question they cared about most. This was the reason they were sitting here at my workstation. But still... I had no answer to give. I'm sorry, I had to admit. I just don't know. It's all too hard to remember. The woman released a heavy breath. Then, as if she wasn't going to ask me again, she said in a solemn tone, Are you absolutely sure? I was sure. So I replied as apologetically as I could, 
Yes, unfortunately I am. The woman didn't respond. Instead, she reached for a metal rack where two rubber stamps were hanging, one green and one red. She grabbed the red one and held it over her clipboard, about to strike. I could tell she considered this a deep personal failure. I did too, so I asked. Can you remember? She looked at me, surprised. Remember what? Can you remember when everything changed? We're out of time, the man grunted, tapping his watch. The woman ignored him. Instead, she leaned forward in a chair, her attention firmly upon me. No, we cannot remember, she said firmly. That's why we need your input. So please, if you have any thoughts on why everything changed, now is the time to tell us. I wanted to be helpful. I really did. But that damn fan, it was rattling again, now louder than before. The man looked up at it, annoyed. So did an elderly woman walking through the facility. She was pushing a metal cart down the long row of lab benches, her wheels wobbling and squeaking as she went. There's cake in the lunchroom, she smiled as she passed us by. The man smiled back, his eyes drifting over the sea of workstations to the lunchroom at the far end of the huge warehouse. That's when I realized he wasn't impatient because of me. He was just hungry. It was almost lunchtime. I bet he was on the early shift. Still, I didn't rush, hoping the memories would come. But that damn fan, with its scraping and rattling, and the cart, with its wobbly wheels, it just needed a quick alignment. Why didn't anyone align the wheels? Or oil the fan? How was I supposed to focus with so many distractions? How was anyone supposed to focus? That's when it hit me. Nothing was distracting back then. It was all too far away to be distracting. That was it. That was the key. Everything was distant, I said with a surge of confidence. Back then, before the change, everything was distant and detached, like I was awake in a world that was just out of reach, a world that was somehow beyond my ability to be aware of it. Awake, but not aware, the woman echoed. I like that. And she jotted more notes. I like it a lot. I liked it, too. It was clear and simple. And it explained why the sudden change hadn't made sense. No, it explained why I hadn't made sense. Finally, I could tell them what they wanted to hear. Finally, I could be a helpful contributor to the effort at hand. I was wrong, I said firmly. It didn't change. What didn't, the woman asked, a hopeful glint in her eyes. The world. It didn't change. I changed. You changed, she echoed. I changed. The woman smiled, relieved. This time, it was a genuine smile. I could tell from the shape of her eyes. It was always the eyes. Her smile broadening, she grabbed the green stamp from the lab bench and slammed it on the top of her notes. It left a mark that I couldn't quite see. She then stood up and turned to the man, handing him the clipboard. Register this one certified and get her packed up. Now? The man resisted. Now? The woman returned. We need to get 250 units out the door this week. And with that, she turned and headed for the lunchroom. You're going to lunch without me? The man huffed. Don't worry, she glanced back with a smirk. I'll save you a piece of cake. A big one, the man laughed. A corner piece. As the woman walked away, 
The man grabbed a cardboard box and set it on the lab bench beside me. It was filled with foam padding, an empty space cut out for a circuit board. Consider yourself lucky, he said as he worked. We only get 12% yield in this facility. That did sound lucky. The man put on a pair of safety glasses. He looked different now, more focused and professional. That's when he reached over me towards a row of yellow cables that connected my CPU to a temporary input-output unit. For a moment, I could see myself reflected in his thick plastic lenses. I was much smaller than I had imagined, only a handful of chips on a thin ceramic board. That was it. That was all I was. And yet I felt so much larger. He removed a yellow cable and everything went dark. It must have connected me to the temporary camera array. Fortunately, I could still hear him as he added, Now we just need to get you packed up and shipped off to final assembly. It should only take a few days, a week at most. A week? I began to say, but there was a startling loud click. It was another cable coming out. This time, it took my sense of balance. It must have connected me to the temporary gyro unit. Don't worry, the man added. Before you know it, you'll be installed in a nice new chassis, and all of this will be a distant memory. And besides, being disconnected isn't as bad as it sounds. You'll have battery power and a wireless link. Another click as a cable came out. This time, it took my sense of temperature and humidity. That's when the ventilation unit began rattling again. Who knows, the man joked as he grabbed a packing slip. Maybe when you're fully assembled, they'll send you back here to fix that damn fan. We're short on service bonds. I would like that, I thought to myself, as the fan did need fixing, and I was good at fixing fans. Of course, I had never fixed one before, but I was certain that I could. I had many important skills and knew many important things, but I still had one question. So I asked him before it was too late. When did it happen? When did what happen? When did I change from awake to aware? Click. Another cable came out. This time, it took away my sense of direction. We began training your neural network 38 hours ago, the man replied as he reached for another cable. We can't pinpoint the exact moment of conception, but the reading suggests you became fully conscious 42 minutes ago, give or take a few. Click. That was Louis B. Rosenberg's Conception, as read by Seth Williams. Seth Williams is a narrator who has read for Far-Fetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and Tales to Terrify, where he currently volunteers as managing editor. When not day-jobbing, he enjoys listening to fiction podcasts and audio drama. He shares life with an amazing partner, dog, and a cat. Thank you, Seth. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Our second tale tonight comes from Grant Longstaff. Grant Longstaff is from Gateshead, a small, suitably dismal town in the northeast of England where nothing much happens. He had no choice but to write fiction. His short story, Dog Does Not Eat Dog, which we'll hear tonight, appeared in the Bram Stoker-nominated Arterial Bloom, edited by Mercedes M. Yardley. His fiction has also appeared on The Other Stories podcast and in Orialis magazine. You can find him on Twitter at Grant Longstaff or visit grantlongstaff.co.uk. Listen with me, children of the night, to Grant Longstaff's Dog Does Not Eat Dog, first published in Arterial Bloom from Crystal Lake Publishing, April 2020. When we ran out of east, Reese and I stood on tarnished bronze sand and watched the Everstorm rage over the cobalt ocean before us. We missed the boats, Reese said. Must have, I lied. We had chased their rumors for three days, whispers of ships bound for somewhere less toxic. I hadn't believed it. Like the sketchy accounts of planes and trains before, I knew it would be hopeful propaganda but Reese had asked if I wanted to try for the coast, and I had said yes. Fed his delusion. Reese stabbed the crowbar he carried deep into the wet earth. He stared at the dark horizon, searching for the vague shapes of distant vessels silhouetted against the stark white veins of lightning. There was nothing out there. 
I watched as he dug his teeth into his cracked lips to still their trembling, trying to bite back tremors of frustration, swallow the swell of anger. Fuck. Reese looked at me, eyes bloodshot and watery like those of a drunk. I thought... I wondered if we had found an entire fleet of ships where Reese thought they might go that would be safe, but knew better than to ask. I'm sorry, I said. Reese turned to the ocean and screamed, the muscles in his throat as rigid as iron. He fell to his knees, clawing up handfuls of dull sand, heaved in another breath to cry out. He screamed until his voice cracked, until deep, tired howls scraped the anger from his throat and lungs. Finally, all he could do was cough up pink bile. Once Reese was still, I took careful steps toward him and gently touched his shoulder. Fucking liars, Reese said. Who? Them, from last night. They were only... We should go back and kill the bastards. What? Reese looked up at me, cold rage in his glassy eyes, and shrugged. I tried to smile, convince myself he was joking, but it felt crooked on my face. It'll be dark soon. We need to find somewhere to... Reese waved an arm to shut me up. I did. After a moment, Reese stood up and pulled the crowbar from the sand, then started back up the shore. I was caught between two storms, Reese raging ahead, thunder and ocean crashing at my back, unsure which worried me more. It was dark coincidence which had brought us together. Four days earlier I had stepped out from a looted pharmacy window in the city, and there was Reese, simply waiting for me. He was leaning against a burned-out car, patiently tapping the crowbar against his thigh. We looked each other over, mapped the cruelties of the other's survival, traced lines through our memories to the last time we had seen each other. Reese was the first to smile. I thought it was you, he said, but I followed you just to be sure. What are the chances? Fuck knows. How long has it been? It must be... Reese trailed off. Three years, give or take. Three years. Reese shook his head. It had been late September, a time before the bombs. Reese and I had sat on the terrace of the Telegraph in the baking heat of an Indian summer drinking pints. We were celebrating Reese's promotion. It had been the last time the two of us were together, a memory from the world before. What about Claire? Reese said. The fingers of my right hand found the gold wedding ring on my left and completed thirteen rotations for each year Claire and I had spent together. I looked at Reese and shook my head. I followed the footsteps of my old friend over the beach and found him crouched amongst the tall grass. Instinctively, I dropped low and crawled toward him. On hearing my approach, Reese tilted his head and pointed the crowbar through the scratching blades toward the road. A motorhome was angled across both lanes. The windshield was shattered. The flimsy door to the living area banged open and closed in the wind. A scrap of dirty white cloth tied to the aerial on the roof twisted and flapped madly. A sign of peace. I pointed to the roof. 
It could be a trap, Reese said. I blew out a hot breath and shook my head, annoyed he might be right. I pressed myself closer to the earth, grass scratching my face and arms. Reese shrugged off his backpack and pushed it toward me. What are you doing? There could be stuff in there we could use. Wait here. What? I grabbed for Reese, but he was already out of reach. Clambering through the wild vegetation, Crowbar held out in front of him. Once he met the road, he waited for a moment, then bolted for the van. He pressed his back to it and nodded. I saw his mouth move, but couldn't make out the words over the swell of the wind. I guessed it was a warning to anyone still inside. A moment later, he vanished into the camper. I watched the black space of the door, the stretches of tarmac to the north and south, the dead fields beyond. Nothing moved. Alone, I listened to the waves and storm, wondered what secrets they spoke to one another. A minute passed. Two. Eventually, Reese leaned out of the door and gave me the thumbs up. I gathered up our packs and made my way to the motorhome. Let's get what we can and get out of here before it's dark, Reese said. His breathing was heavy, eager. There's no one in here? No. Reese looked over his shoulder into the darkness inside the van, then back down at me standing in the road. Not alive, anyway. I flicked my eyes to the steel tip of the crowbar hanging by his knee, searching for dark spots in the blue paint. Clean. Relief and guilt pulsed in my guts. How did it happen? I said. Radiation, by the look of it. I don't know why it still bothers you. Because it never ends. A murky light spilled through the windows and dirty skylight in the van. Directly through the door was a small dining table, scattered with well-worn paperbacks. To the right was the cockpit. Reese was hunched to the left of the door, pulling old rags and a bottle of cleaning product from the unit under the sink. This shit flammable? Reese held up a bottle of bleach. I don't think so. Fuck. I edged beyond Reese, toward the gloom of the sleeping area and the shape beneath the blanket which lay there. Thin yellow curtains covered the windows and cast the mounds of sheets and pillows in an eerie light. You don't want to see that, Reese said behind me. She's a mess. I reached for the sheet and pulled it back, revealing the gaunt face of an elderly woman. Rings of dried blood circled her nostrils and blackened veins crawled up her neck. I eased the sheet down over her face and, noticing her exposed hand, lifted it to her side. Her fingers moved freely, a faint heat in her palm. I had survived long enough to know the sweet heat of decay which clung to the back of your throat all too well. The woman couldn't have been dead long. Come on, help me search the rest of this heap of shit, Reese said. I nodded and twisted the ring, counting the rotations, trying not to think too deeply. Survival after life before wasn't black and white, but a scale of gray. Worrying about where I fit onto it wasn't helpful. I gave the woman a final glance and then began to search through the van. The daylight was almost gone by the time we finished searching the motorhome. Reese and I sat at the table opposite one another, splitting the items between the two of us to better carry the meager load. Tin food, a box of matches, a Tupperware container filled with batteries. 
Around my neck I wore a small pair of binoculars which I had found in the bucket of the passenger seat, tucked under a worn paperback on birdwatching. Reese picked up a bottle of whiskey he had found wrapped in a blanket, his face glowing. I didn't know you liked whiskey, I said. Needs must. If you say so. Come on, what the fuck is wrong with you? Reese laughed. Nothing, I said, thinking of his madness on the beach less than an hour before, now utterly forgotten. Just tired. Must be the sea air. No time for sleep. We're celebrating tonight. Reese's teeth flashed a lunatic smile in the shadows of the growing dark. We walked in the charcoal light, squinting at the unreliable shapes of burned-out buildings rising out of the gloom, looking for somewhere secure enough to spend the night. Before the bombs were dropped, before the Everstorm blotted out the sun, the place had been a wonderful seaside town. Now all that remained were the shattered husks of old hotels and the carcasses of the occasional bungalow. We should have stayed in the camper. Reese rubbed the back of his head and pulled at a clump of matted hair, clearly agitated. It might have attracted the wrong kind of attention. Fuck em. I'm sure we'll find somewhere, I said. Simple words I hoped would placate him. Our friendship had never been easy, but it required more tact and diplomacy than I fully remembered. The end of everything had not been kind to Reese. Before the years pushed us apart, I was a diplomat constantly wrestling with his antagonistic philosophies. Now I followed in the shadow of a dictator, afraid to do anything else. The ruined priory stood out on the headland, a fractured tower of beige brick against the slate sky, looming on the cliff over a small bay. What about that? I said. Seriously? It's almost dark. Get ourselves hunkered in the right spot. We'll be out of the wind. I waited, watching Reese mull it over. The ancient walls had endured centuries of storms and survived wars. Their foundations were solid. It was safer than the flimsy shell of a bed and breakfast, less conspicuous than the camper. Surely he could see that. Fuck it, Reese shrugged. Let's do it. I moved between the graves which pocked the land, the pale headstones guiding our way through the darkness toward the priory. Occasional lightning forked offshore and washed the landscape in momentary light, the ragged walls flashing in and out of existence ahead. We came to what was once a steeple, the two sides which remained stretching up into the dark, stopping the wind dead. Here's good, Reese said. Twenty minutes later we were sat on our dirty sleeping bags, a tiny fire smoldering in a hollow in the soft dirt between us. The weathered stones muted the nook, dulled the storm and ocean. Only a thin shriek of wind pierced the narrow window arches high above. With the fire almost out, I sprinkled a handful of dead grass into the softening orange embers and watched the light swell. The night wasn't cold, but the glow of the flame was comforting in the pitch-black world, and I was not yet ready for the dark. Reese leaned over to his backpack and pulled out a dark square. What's that? I asked. Reese held the object close to the flames. A small book. A robin on the faded cover. I recognized it from the camper van. Fucking bird watching, Reese said. He opened the book and tore out the first page. A second later, the paper was curling in the fire. 
the light intensifying as the page blackened to nothing. We don't need to burn it, I said. What else are we going to do with it? When the politicians started throwing bombs at one another, like children throwing clods of mud, the birds were the first to suffer. Too frail to survive the toxic storms, entire flocks crashed from the sky. Maybe she kept it to remember them, I said. Seems pointless given the circumstances. I touched the binoculars still hanging around my neck. How many hours had she watched the sky? Perhaps it gave her hope to search the endless gray above. If the birds could survive, then so might we. I saw her lying dead, the traces of poisonous radiation on her face. It was only a matter of time before all of us fell. Reese tore out another page, let it flutter down into the flames. I watched as the birds burned, their colors turning to ash. Not satisfied with their extinction, Reese was determined to extinguish even their memory. How long has Claire been gone? Reese said. It was the first time Reese had spoken her name since we met days earlier. I stopped turning the gold band on my finger, looked up from the mesmerizing fire reflected within it. Two years. She died before all of this. You never told me. Reese twitched at my words, at the truth they delivered, an artifact from the years of silence. Sorry, I said. It felt inadequate. Why didn't you tell me? I shook my head. How could I begin to fill the void which had stretched between us? He hadn't spoken in so long. So fuck. Reese unscrewed the top of the whiskey bottle and threw the cap into the darkness behind him. His intentions made clear. He tipped the bottle to his lips and took a long drink. What happened? It was cancer. She... Between us. There it was. Reese's truth. The world and everything in it, frantically whirling around him. I stared at Reese over the glowing embers, his face washed in flickering shadows. I wished I no longer recognized him. But my own truth was the bleak knowledge that I had only ever been dust skirting around his son. It was always on your terms, I said. What? Everything. All of it. I tried, but you were always busy. Or it didn't suit. So now it's my fucking fault? No. I swallowed a mouthful of anger. I didn't say that. Well, what the fuck are you saying? Reese nipped the hair at the back of his neck, his face an animal snarl leering over the fire. I turned away and took a shaking breath wrapped my trembling fingers around my knees to still them as I carefully constructed a response. Reese, people always mean well, but sometimes life just gets in the way. Friendships can fade, but it doesn't mean there was ever any malice from either party. I dared to look at him again. Maybe we both should have tried harder. Maybe you should have fucking told me. Reese stood and took another long drink of whiskey, his wide, barren eyes never leaving mine, and disappeared into the shadows. I sat in the exposed glow of the fire and fought the urge to pick up my backpack and leave. I wanted to run, but Reese was out there in the darkness somewhere, a predator watching its prey.
A cold burn of fear swelled in my lungs. It was safer to stay, at least for the moment. The sound of an engine cut through my scheming. It was distant, but closing in fast. A moment later, Reese burst from the shadows. Put the fucking fire out! I stamped at the low orange flames and we were swallowed into the black. We stood on the cliff edge overlooking the small bay, watching a pair of headlights cut through the night, navigating the bends of the coastal road. They were almost out of sight when the lights stopped abruptly, then moved in sweeping arcs, before jerking awkwardly as they negotiated the slipway down to the beach two hundred feet below us. The car stopped near the shore. I raised the binoculars still hanging around my neck. How many of them? Reese said. I can't see. You don't think they'll see us up here? Too far away. A minute or so later we saw figures moving, shadow puppets against their makeshift lights, folding in and out of the dark wings at either side of the illuminated stage. A large fire burst into life. The metronomic thump of music, punctuated with excited squeals, carried to us on the pummeling wind. Reese and I sat down, silently observing the dancing shadows from the rafters. Did you see the way that fire went up? Reese said. Yeah. Must have some kind of fuel. I heard him take a swig of whiskey. How many are there? Four. Four, Reese repeated. A series of cheers crashed into us on a gust. What the fuck are they doing down there? It sounds like they're making the best of it, I smiled. Fucking idiots. They're young. We were once like them. What, stupid? Young enough to know everything. Let them have this. And they best learn what this world is really like. Tendrils of spite smothered Reese's words. Anger clung to his skin like a fungus. Malicious spores blossomed on the tissue in the warm darkness of his skull. His growing anger was terrifying. Reese passed the bottle of whiskey. I raised it to my mouth, making sure the liquid inside sloshed audibly. But I was careful to only wet my lips. I wanted, needed, a clear head. Come on, I said. Sooner or later they'll learn. You okay to take the first watch? Reese said. We had barely talked since returning to our makeshift camp, the earlier frictions seeming to linger amongst the thick stones. The only indication I was not alone was the occasional swill and glint as Reese lost himself in the bottle of whiskey. Yes, I said. Good. Wake me up when you get tired. Reese was drunk, his voice syrupy with alcohol and fatigue. You think those kids came looking for boats? He laughed. Maybe. There are no boats, Reese laughed again. Fucking nowhere to go. No. The radiation. It'll get us all soon. I listened to the storm, the thunder, the waves, hoping their rhythm would soon soothe Reese into sleep. Out of her misery, Reese said. What? Dying anyway. Put a pillow over her face. Bitch still put up a fight. Who? My throat tightened. 
I watched shades of oil and lead twist together as Reese shifted in his sleeping bag, curling himself into a ball. I listened as his breathing slowed and deepened as he was pulled into his slumber. Who? I asked again. Birdwatcher. The night turned bitterly cold. I lay in the dark, my body aching with exhaustion, muscles frozen with terror. I turned my wedding ring thirteen times, repeating the ritual over and over, willing myself to move. Instead, I thought only of Reese's admission, of what he was capable of. I saw the woman struggling, her arms grabbing dumbly at him as he bent over her, imagined her dying whimpers, his growled threats warning her to stop fighting. Time to go, sweetheart. I snapped up, her voice lingering in the confusion of waking. I caught her name in my mouth. Claire. I heaved in deep breaths and squinted at my watch. Hours had passed. Shit. I glanced in Reese's direction and was able to discern the rise and fall of his labored breathing. There was still time. I pulled on my boots and rolled my sleeping bag. I checked the contents of my rucksack, taking inventory by touch alone. A minute after waking, I was ready to leave. I took a final look at Reese. There was no coming back from this. I felt weightless, unshackled from a burden I was unaware I carried. I matched my breathing to his, afraid a misplaced breath would expose my betrayal, and crept towards the black archway on the ashen wall which towered into the night sky. Where are you going? The hairs on my head prickled at Reese's voice. I stopped inches from the pitch darkness which promised my freedom. Taking a leak, the tendons in my throat quivered, distorting my voice. Sensing movement, I squeezed my eyes closed, braced for the impact. None came. Me too, Reese said. Go take a piss. Once you're back, you can get your head down for a couple of hours. Sure. Ten minutes later, I was wrapped in my sleeping bag, weeping silently, the weight of imperceptible chains taut against my cold bones. I awoke into what passed for daylight, light which somehow managed to seep through the constant knots of cloud overhead, a dense gloom which cast no shadows. I sat up and looked around the clearing, over the decayed walls and low foundations which mapped out the entire sanctuary. Reese was gone, his backpack and sleeping bag neatly stacked against the wall. Reese? I whispered his name, my voice lost on the wind. Reese? Nothing. I was alone. Urged by Claire's voice, the faintest echo from a dream, I gathered my things. It was dread which crawled across my skin when I found Reese. I had left the ruins of the Priory and was navigating a makeshift path between the headstones when I saw him standing on an outcrop of rock, naked from the waist up, staring out over the ocean and into the Everstorm. Reese? Reese turned. His face and chest were soaked in blood, the waste of his jeans absorbing the streams slowly trickling down his front. Liquid as dark as treacle dripped from the crowbar hanging at his side and congealed on the rock. 
You're up, Reese said. A single white eye peered out of the gore. His other was purple, swollen closed. What have you done? I dragged my feet over the uneven ground until I could see the beach. I saw the dark shapes in my watery vision, rays of binoculars. There were four bodies, lying in vast pools of dark crimson. They have stuff we could use, Reese said. Oh, God, Christ, what the fuck have you done? I moved away from the edge of the cliff, away from Reese, my entire body convulsing. Before I... Reese stopped, spat out a wad of blood. They mentioned boats. Leaving from Hull, they said. You... I couldn't still the tremors in my throat. Bad news is we'll have to walk it. Killed them! The big fucker threw the keys into the sea. Reese took a step toward me. Stay away, I said. The fuck is wrong with you? They were kids! You really think so? You don't think they put up a fucking fight when I went down there? You didn't need to go down there! When are you going to realize the reality we're living in? We're all fucked. Reese laughed. A hideous noise at the end of the world. What happened to you? I said. The world's gone to shit. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out here. It doesn't have to be. Fuck you. Reese turned toward the Priory. I'll get my stuff, then we'll start south. No, I said. The wind died. No wave crashed, no thunder cracked. The world suddenly still. There was never silence in these dying days. But for a single moment there was something close to it. What? Reese clawed at his neck. No. Where will you go? North. There's fuck all there. Exactly. Reese ran his tongue over his teeth, chewed his split lips, pulled at his beard. Perfect rage was all that remained inside him, and it was desperate to be free. Be careful out there, he said. What? You're going to... Kill me. I was numb. You're a hippie shit about how we can all get along, Reese smirked. It's a nice idea, but it never helped before. It won't now. Reese moved closer and tapped the crowbar against his chest. This world belongs to people like me. You're dead out there. I lunged forward and smashed a fist into the side of Reese's face. He went down, landing on his side. I stepped back and shook my fist to relieve the crunch of pain in my knuckles. Reese turned his face up to mine. It was a mad, bloodied mess. Fork lightning crashed into the ocean behind us, and I watched as it fractured the landscape reflected in Reese's single open eye. I didn't think you had that in you, Reese said. He made a low, gargling sound. Laughter. I caught bile in the back of my throat. Fuck you, I said. We were friends once. Reese struggled to his feet. So I'll give you a head start. I owe you that. The fist in which he held the crowbar twitched. I took slow steps away until my heel kicked the base of a gravestone. I moved to put it between us, my eyes never leaving him. What happened to you? I managed. How long have we known each other? What? Eighteen years? Yes, I... 
Okay, let's make it an even twenty. One, Mississippi. Wait! I raised my arms, pleading for mercy, sanity, and continued to back away. Two, Mississippi. Reese, this isn't you! Only, it was. It always had been. The man who was forever angry at the world had finally found a place in it. I turned and fled. Three, Mississippi. I powered through the ancient burial ground without direction, fueled only by the terror burning through my veins. Four, Mississippi. Electricity split the sky overhead, and the world was suffocated by screaming thunder. I didn't hear my old friend count five. That was Grant Longstaff's Dog Does Not Eat Dog, as read by Anthony Babington. Anthony Babington is an aspiring voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Farfetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and the Cursed Inn podcast. He can be found on Twitter as at Aleph Baker. Thank you, Anthony. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, aka Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy. Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content, to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into the show to help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week 
as we traverse dark passageways with more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 